0: Psalm 145 today. We're going to read the whole passage. We like the Bible around here at Gospel. We don't mind reading it. Back in the old, old days, they used to just read the Bible publicly. I think there is something to that. To get the whole idea of the passage, because we are going to be looking at the entire passage, we'll go ahead and read all 21 verses. Psalm 145 says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, And I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, and to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry, and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but the wicked will He destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Let us pray. We're thankful for Your Word this morning. Thank you for Psalm 145, and uh, I ask now as we get into this passage here that you would Uh, illuminate our minds by the Holy Spirit, that we would gain insight into this passage, uh, that all the study and effort that has been put into this, uh, that you'd even add to that. and That this wouldn't be a Chris Barrow sermon, but this would be a sermon that's come directly from you to your people. Remove distraction from our minds, help us to concentrate, focus on what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The sermon this morning is about our great God. Our great God. The whole sermon this morning is not really going to be about us very much, but it's going to be glorifying God and praising God. It's not much this morning for maybe self help, for necessarily just improving our lives, besides learning maybe how to praise God the way that we ought to. And our God is good, and we're going to see that this morning. The first and second verses of of this passage, they set the stage for the next 19 verses that we're going to look at here. David, our psalmist, he begins the passage with saying a word that we don't often use, extol. He says, I will extol thee, my God. Now the word extol, it means to set preeminently or to exalt above all others. And it's the expression of the greatest possible admiration of a person or a thing. Now, we extol a lot of things in our lives, some that should be extolled and some, sadly, that shouldn't. But David here is putting God in his rightful place by putting him at the top, saying, you have preeminence above all things and above all others. He doesn't stop there by saying, I extol thee, my God. He says, O king, O king. I don't believe this was, I believe every word is inspired by God and every word is there for a purpose. It's not just there for filler. When he says, my God, then he follows up with my king. And a king is someone who is in power, has leadership, who has authority, has the highest ranking position. A king leads, guides, directs, and governs a group of people. And a king is someone that people pledge their allegiance to and offer their service their honor, their respect, their love, and also their fear for their king. And our God is no ordinary king. Revelation 1.5 says, He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, He is blessed and only potent king of kings and lord of lords. Potent meaning that he is above all. Revelation 19.6 says, says he has written on his clothing his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords revelation 17 14 says that people are going to try to make war with the king with with the lamb but he shall overcome them for he is lord of lords and king of kings and we have a god that is worthy of preeminence in our hearts and that same God is also our King of King and Lord of Lords who is worthy of our devotion, our pledge of allegiance and our service. And so God, he is not only our God, but he is also our King. The same. The psalmist continues. He says, I will bless thy name forever and ever. He says, I'm never going to stop. My praise is going to keep going on and going on and going on. I can say, There's been few times in my life where I have declared that to God, but I should. Forever, I am never going to stop praising my God. He says, I will. That is a decision, not something he's being forced into, but something he is determining to do voluntarily. It's a decision. And if that's not clear enough, he says in the next verse, in the second part, he says, every day I will bless thee. I will praise thy name forevermore. Every day. That means on the day you get a raise or a promotion in your job, those are good days. Those are happy days. That means on the day you get to hold your newborn baby for the first time, the child you've been waiting to meet for the past nine months. And those of us who are parents know that incredible feeling of holding your newborn baby in your arms. We're gonna praise God On those days, we're going to praise God on the day that the love of our life says, yes, I love you and I'm going to marry you. We're going to praise God on the day you find out you're going to be a grandparent for the first time. Woo, Grandparents, you know that that's a big time for you. But, but let me say this. Every day also implies the bad days. Even on the day you get fired from your job and worry about where your next paycheck is going to come from and if you are going to be able to survive financially. Even on the day your precious child enters into eternity far earlier than you thought they should. Even on the day the love of your life says, I don't love you anymore, it's over, I'm leaving. Even on the day, grandparents, that you find out that you're not going to be around much longer to spend time with your precious little grandbabies. It's easy to praise God on the good days, but it's hard to praise Him on the tough days and the difficult days. We ought to praise God on the happy Sundays like we're here today. Woo! Most of us are here with our spirits lifted with joy. But the dreaded Monday is coming tomorrow. And it's a lot tougher to praise God on a Monday than it is a Sunday for some reason. But David says every day, every day, because God is always worthy of our praise. And so these two verses, as they set the stage for the rest of the passage, David says, God, I've put you above all others. You're in first place. You're my God, but you're also my king who I give my allegiance to and I offer my service to. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to praise you forever on the good days and on the bad. So we've talked about we need to praise God. We should praise God, God's position, but here's the big question, why? Why should we praise God? Well, that's what the, the rest of the verses, 3 through 21, talk about. Why we should praise God and why he is worthy of our praise. Let's notice the first one. is going to start in verse 6. We praise God, and God is worthy of our praise because of his greatness. Verse 3 says, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. We can't comprehend how great God is and understanding God's greatness and his splendor is like us getting in a spaceship trying to go to the other side of the universe to find where it ends. And to the best of our knowledge, the universe never ends. We have humongous telescopes that scientists point towards the stars and look at galaxies far, far away, but they never can quite reach the end. It's as if the more they go, the more there is to discover. And by the way, that's only in one direction. And when we come to Scripture and we try to fathom how great our God is, and we spend many theologians and good Christian people spending their lives digging into the truth of God's word to find out every possible thing about how great God is. And you get to the end of it and you say, I feel like I know less than when I started. Because our God is incomprehensible and he is unsearchable. How can we wrap our minds around the eternality of God, that he has no beginning and no end, but he also says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. (gasps) Because he is eternity. How do we wrap our minds around the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all equal and all the same, but different at the same time. I can't comprehend it, and it's unsearchable. People spent their lifetimes trying to figure that one out, And we just have to trust God that it is the way that he says. How do we comprehend? This is by far the biggest one to me is the love that God has for us when he offered us salvation. That is the biggest one that I cannot and I don't think I ever will be able to wrap my mind around that one. Why he would love me so much to endure all he endured. Why he would love you that much. It's unsearchable. It's unknowable. It's incomprehensible. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways are past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Our God is unsearchable. Also, we see here in verse 4, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. God is great. God's greatness is beyond our comprehension, and God's greatness is also testified, testified to others, and it endures from generation to generation. And no matter how much skepticism throughout the centuries and past thousands of years has tried to squelch god and squelch jesus his greatness cannot be forgotten communists couldn't eradicate him they tried to burn bibles and every christian artifact that you could possibly find to try to to try to put a grip on christianity and stop it forever but they could not contain it because god one generation praises god's works to another the evolutionary thought Has tried to tried to outthink God, but it hadn't worked one bit. The public school system can't keep him out. Just found out that a coach can pray after a football game at center field. They can't stop it. One generation shall praise thy works to another. And each generation is has a responsibility to declare God's greatness to the next. Jesus said. When the Pharisees said, hey, stop your disciples from praising you, he says, if I stop them, the rocks would cry out. What does that mean? That means all creation is praising God, and his greatness is declared. Our responsibility is to declare God's greatness to the next generation. Each one of us is here because of somebody else. Yes, ultimately, we're here because of Christ, and yes, because Christ has preserved his word, but but we are also here because of other people who have invested in us a generation before us and two generations and three, as far back as we want to go, has taken God's greatness and, and given it to the next generation. It's been passed on to us. It's not something we came up with on our own. Each and every one of us is here because of somebody else. And you say, well, I, no, that's not me. I, I opened the Bible. I thought, you know how much work went into getting this Bible that went in your hands? how many people put this thing together and how it survived so much oppression because people were being willing to sacrifice. We are indebted to the people behind us, but we are also debtors to the people that are coming after us. Fathers, it's our responsibility to declare God's greatness to our children and describe how he has been faithful to us. We could go around the room for hours with instant after instant about how God has proved his greatness to each and every one of us. Grandparents, it's your responsibility to brag on God about how he has provided your every need throughout all these years. It's our responsibility. And every generation is going to declare God's greatness to the next. Next, next we see... God's greatness is demonstrated by His might. Verse 6, we're going to jump down to that. It says, and men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. When men do not heed God's works of mercy, patience, God will show them His terrible works of justice. We see that in the flood, how that God annihilated millions, millions of people, possibly billions we see in Sodom how they rejected the truth that was there. The plagues of Egypt about his terrible acts, and it's demonstrated, His greatness is demonstrated by His might. So we see God's greatness, but secondly, we I want you to notice God's goodness, God's goodness, verse seven. "They shall abundantly utter which is to speak. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. Abundantly utter contains the idea of bubbling up or boiling over. It's like a fountain that bubbles up. You can't, I mean, you just can't contain it from coming to the surface, all the bubbles that come. And that's what happens when God is ingrained in our life and he works through our life and we see Him bless us, and we see miracles directly at the hand of God, we abundantly utter the memories that we have of God providing for our every need. I had a family member who went over to another relative's house, and what happened was this one family member, of course, was a good Christian person, and not mention names for the internet's sake, but... (laughs) Uh but went over to the family members' house. One was a good Christian, the other one uh for a heathen for all intents and purposes was a unsaved person. And while this relative was there, just in conversation as a Christian, when good things happen, when 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 the guy said, Hey, uh, you know, I just got a raise at my job, and this happened, oh, praise the Lord. The the relative said, Don't talk like that in my house. But to the Christian, my relative, it was just second nature. And so he talked, so they were talking, and a little while later, you know, the guy said something else good, and my relative said, amen. And the guy said, don't do that again, or I'm going to throw you out of my house. And again, something else happened, and he said, praise the Lord. And he got the boot. (laughs) Now, thankfully, things aren't that hostile anymore. But what was happening? That joy from the greatness and the goodness of God was bubbling up in that person's heart to where when good things happened and needs were met, that the the direct response from that was automatically offering praise and glory to God. And so David says, They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy goodness. He's good because he's righteous. Verse 7, again, says, And shall sing of thy righteousness. Sinners fear righteousness. I'm going to say that again. Sinners fear righteousness. They wrestle with peace. They're in bed at night tossing and turning. And if they were truly honest with us and with themselves, they would agree that that is absolutely true. Why? Because they fear that someday that they are going to have to answer for their actions. And it causes them discomfort and it causes them worry. Sinners fear righteousness, but God's people rejoice in it. We rejoice in God's righteousness and Christ's righteousness is the only reason that our sin debt has been paid. Is because of his righteousness and so we don't fear righteous righteousness because we are righteous in Christ and if it had second uh, Corinthians 521 says he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and the righteousness of Christ secures our salvation because if Jesus was just like every other man he wouldn't be righteous and he couldn't pay for our sin debt. And also, if he had the possibility of going bad, that would also mean that our righteousness and our salvation was in jeopardy. But we can rejoice this morning in the greatness and goodness of God because he is totally 100% righteous, which guarantees our salvation and our redemption. He's not only righteous, but He's also gracious and compassionate. Verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Yes, God is righteous, which should strike a sickening fear in any sinner on their way to hell. But God is also gracious, and He's full of compassion, and He's long-suffering. He's gracious enough not to let us die in our sins. He's gracious enough that when we needed a Savior, He provided one. Again, it's unsearchable. It's unthinkable. It's incomprehensible. Why? But we know that He is gracious. He had every right to destroy mankind to allow us to just continue on life and let death accumulate after generation and generation until there was absolutely nothing left and we devoured ourselves. But he chose in his graciousness and in his mercy to allow us an alternative, another way to which we will never truly understand. How gracious is he? Well, David, the one who penned these verses, knew of God's mercy. How do I know that? Oh, he knew of God's mercy because he committed adultery, because he uh, committed murder. And not only just murder, but premeditated murder, which is the worst kind. And somehow, he found grace in the eyes of God, and he found mercy because God was full of compassion. And slow to anger. How patient is God with you? If you don't think he's very patient with you, think again. Because I know he's been patient with me. How great is God's mercy towards you? Have you been forgiven a lot or have you been forgiven a little? Again, the proper answer should be I've been forgiven a lot. And where would I be without Christ? God is great, full of compassion. He deserves our praise. Not only that, he's impartial. That's good. The Lord is good to all, verse 9, and his tender mercies are over all his works. God is good to all. Read that word again, all. Even his enemies? Yes, yes, absolutely. Matthew 5, 45 says, he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Saddam Hussein, the sun rose up every morning for them, just like it rises for everyone who's a believer in Christ. They got to experience the glories of the daybreak. They got to experience the sunsets, just like we see the sunsets. He sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Us Americans, we often think of rain as a bad thing. And we say, oh, it's raining again. I hate it when it rains, and I'm guilty of saying the same thing. But we got to think where this time period where these folks were at, in the culture that they were at, in the geographic location where they were, rain was precious, And rain is is precious to us as well, which we take for granted. But rain allows for plants to grow and provides nutrients to the soil and to the roots and to the plants, which puts food on the table of every living soul in the world. And God provided food for Hitler, for Joseph Stalin, for Saddam Hussein, just like he provides for you and for me. I would say that God is pretty impartial and he's compassionate and he's full of mercy Nobody is ever going to be able to point a finger at God and say that he was not merciful or gracious. We praise God because he's great and because of his greatness. We praise God because of his goodness. Thirdly, I want us to see we praise God because of his glory. Verse 11 says, They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. The word glory has the meaning of heaviness or weight. Uh, It's used to describe the worth of a person in material things as well as the importance, the greatness, the splendor of them uh, in society as well. It has weight that goes with it. In the Bible, we see a few different times where men were referred to as having glory. Joseph, Joseph's glory was referred to when he was in Egypt and he rose to second over all of Egypt, and there was Joseph's glory, the Bible tells us. Also, we see David's glory with his uh, kingdom in Psalm 21.5, and also Joshua's position had glory in it in Numbers 27. And so God's glory is above all others because it has to do with his reputation. The first verse that we looked at this morning back in verse 1, it says, I will bless thy name forevermore. The name there, I will bless thy name, what David's talking about is God's reputation. A name carries weight. When people say, Chris Barrows, that means something. It doesn't usually mean much. If you mention my name around town, not gonna get you very far. Go down to Naples, mention Terry Snow if he's watching. That, That has a little bit of weight down there, a little bit. But... Names carry weight. If you go around the church and say, Pastor Bill told me to do this, okay, we're getting out of the way. You're free to do what you need to do. Now, don't throw his name around in vain, as he always says. But a name carries weight. And when we think about the name of God, it implies everything that humanity knows about God. And those of us as Bible believers, we have a correct perspective. Or I should say a more accurate perspective about who God is and the reputation that he has, and he has glory. Verse 12 again says, verse 12 says, To make known the sons of men and his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and, then, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. God's reign, his government, his his wealth, his power is all summed up in his kingdom. And there is glory in his kingdom. Successful people in the world think that they have it all. They think that they have obtained glory and to some small degree they obtained a little bit of glory. But compared to how we are going to see God in the fullness of his glory their glory isn't going to even sparkle. Believers, we have made the right choice. Live your life for God, and you're going to find satisfaction, not only in this life, but in the next, and you will be very glad that you did. We praise God because of his greatness, because of his goodness, because of his glory, and lastly, because of his generosity. His generosity. Verse 14 says, The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. Romans 2, 1 to 11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. I am thankful for that. He accepts the poor as much as he does the rich. He accepts the ugly As much as he accepts the beautiful, he accepts the talentless as much as he accepts the talented. And if you are here today and wondering if God is going to accept you, or will, I should say, will accept you, he will. He will. And I'm thankful that he accepted me. Thank God salvation wasn't dependent on ability, prestige, or riches, or health. And Thank God that common, poor, average people have access to God just as much as the rich folks do. God's generosity to the humble he also provides our needs. Verse 15 says, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desires of every living thing. As believers, we have learned to lean on God for our every need. Every need. He is the supplier of all. And I, when I read through this passage, the first thing that came to my mind, an illustration that came to my mind was was little baby birds. <laughs> and how the little baby birds are helpless, completely on their own. If, if the mommy bird left them, they would surely die. They cannot survive on their own. They are completely dependent upon their mother. And they sit there and they chirp really loud and they squeak. And they make all sorts of noise and commotion, and they're saying, Mommy, please feed me. And they open up their mouths about this wide. You guys have seen that. And soon enough, the mommy bird comes by, gives them their little worm or little grub or whatever insect she has, and they eat it, and they're satisfied. The verse says, in due season. We often sit there like little birds. Chirping, making noise, praying, God, I need this. Please supply this need. I need you to step in. And we wonder, just like those little baby birds wonder if mommy's ever coming back, sometimes in our mind we think, is God going to come back and give me what I need? I can confidently say he will. He will. But it's in due season. We often think we need something when we think we need it. But God knows best, and He knows the right exact moment that we need to be delivered and is when He helps us. He provides our needs, and He also has generosity to those who call on Him. Verse 18 and 19 says, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, To all that call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. What I get from that is approach God with your needs. God is looking to supply your needs. Make it known unto him. God does not leave us alone in this life to, to battle and to fight on this earth by ourselves. He's nigh unto all them that call upon him, not just for God's favorites. I've been accused of thinking that way before, that, oh, so-and-so preacher, oh, yeah, they got special favor. <laughs> to some extent, I could, see, I could see the way you're saying, but that big lofty preacher that you look up to, that you listen to on the radio or on your phone or wherever, and it feels like they have direct, direct access to God, you have that exact same access to God the Father. And He is nigh, He's willing to help all those that call upon Him in truth. In conclusion here, why in the world do we praise God? Why? Well, we praise God because of His greatness. We praise God because He is good. We praise God because of His glory. And we praise Him because of His generosity. Let me leave you with this last verse, verse 21. And we'll close and pray. Get it with me if you would. Look at it with me. Verse 21. My mouth shall speak of the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful this morning that you're good. That you're great. That we have reason to praise you. That we could we could sit here hour upon hour upon hour and go on and on and on about how great, how good, how generous, how faithful, how forgiving, how merciful You have been to us. This morning I pray that every soul here would get a glimpse of how great God is and how worthy He is of our praise. May we pass it on to the generation that lies ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com,